we're going to be unless I stray. We are not. So in verse 9, and every one of these verses is like its own message. You'll you'll see it as we read it, or you already know that because you've read ahead. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we loved God. No, we are wretched sinners. And, and please, I, I hope our sharing the gospel with people is not telling them they get, need to get out of sin and get right with God before they can have a relationship with Him. No, we all came as we were. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. guess if you flip that, he doesn't. And his love has been perfected in us. By this we know. So we get to take tests, one of two today. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. That ties into verse 12. And we have seen and testified that the Father that has sent the Son is Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and He who abides in love abides in God and God in Him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we, because we're His children in this world. Therefore, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect, and that would be in His love. We love him, and here's why. Because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, just in case there's any confusion, that he who loves God must love his brother Also, and Father, please, may your word find good soil within each one of our hearts. May you accomplish your eternal purposes in our lives right here, Lord, for this next 45 minutes or so. Lord, help us to be awake and alert. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. You know, when we teach in the Bible college, when kids start getting tired, they, they just go stand up in the back. People do that. People do that here. The, one of the worst things to do would be to fall asleep because the enemy, I believe the enemy knows what's coming and he sprinkles some pixie ducks, dust on you and you go, hey, listen, you're missing out on what God wants to speak to you. Your flesh doesn't want to hear it. That's why you go, <laughs> it's not because you're tired. No, it's because your flesh doesn't want to hear it. Proof of that, grab your Bible at night. Any one of us. And when you're tired, kick on a TV show. Whoa, you're wide awake. Because that's what your flesh wants, okay? So 
If I was going to title this section of Scripture, I would call it the common sense of love. We've been reading off and on all the way through this short letter called 1 John. It just keeps popping up all over the place. Love is a very interesting word for the apostle Paul to use because remember at one time when he walked with Jesus, he wanted to call fire down from heaven and he wanted to smoke them. He wanted to torch that whole city. But see, that's what God's love does in our hearts. It changes us. It transforms us. It causes us to be more like the one who saved us. And for John, certainly he's been in this process of change. He, he writes this letter 60 years later after wanting to call down fire on those who would not receive them. So we could say that he's been growing in love and grace as well. He goes from the son of thunder, one of the sons, to the apostle of love. So please, don't beat yourself up. We're all in process, but grow in the love of Jesus. You see, when you love those you know would not, whom, those who you know you would not love apart from the Spirit of God in your hearts, God is changing you. When those difficult people are there and all of a sudden you find yourself loving them, all of a sudden you realize, wow, God is doing a work in my heart. And love is transforming your life. And every believer in this place is in the process of transformation if we're in Christ. Remember the first time you chose to love your enemies? I do. I was single. I invited Tony, my wife, but she wasn't my wife. She was just a young gal. To a Calvary Chapel outing. Her first one. I thought, I want her to meet my friends. And she came. But the pastor kids had a different idea. You see, there was ketchup and mustard there for hamburgers, and there was egg, or squeeze bottles for hamburgers, and there was eggs for an egg toss. I saw them coming. So I took off running deep into the park. It was a huge park. I figured if I lured them all the way away to the other side of the park, then I could turn and burn it all the way back, because I was fast when I was younger. I figured I could run all the way back, and then I could go tell their parents, which I was already really good at telling their parents for what they were doing. That's why they've got the squeeze bottles and the eggs. And so I ran back. I tell their parents. I go back. I sit down on the picnic bench. I can see it as if it was yesterday. And here's my, I don't even know it at this time. This is my future wife. And I remember sitting there saying, I am so mad, I want to kill those kids. But I know what God's word says. It commands me to love. So we prayed, and I asked the Lord to change my heart, because it was my heart that wanted to kill them, not theirs. And this is very important. Yeah, they might have did the thing to cause those things in me, but it was my heart that was feeling that way, not theirs. See, if I'm a Christian, I can't be a victim. Now, if you're not a Christian, you can be a victim all day long, and eventually you'll stand before God, and you won't be able to be a victim, and you'll be cast into eternity, an eternal separation from God. But I can't claim that, because that was my heart. I needed God to change my heart. Do you remember the first time you had to love your enemies? We all should have them. And you have to choose to love, team. We, 
It doesn't naturally, supernaturally happen. You have to choose to. It's all there, but you have to choose to love. Everything in your flesh and in my flesh says, strike them, smoke them, God, get even. But in that soft, still, quiet voice, and all over in God's word, that command is to love. Now, John being the only apostle left alive gets to see, well, it seems like he gets to have the last word on what Christianity should look like as he writes this letter or book that we call 1 John and how we are to love one another. Right here in verse 9, I've entitled it this, this is God's heart for you. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. See, Jesus taking your place on the cross was the greatest expression of God's love for you that he could ever accomplish. There was nothing greater that God could do for you and I to show us that he loves us other than the giving of his son. So we should never doubt God's love for us because he's already shown us the extent of his love towards us and the sacrificing of his one and only son. So let me ask you, let me ask you, are you living? Look what it says. Are you living through him? Look right at the end here. It says that we might live through him. Are you living through him? Or are you just maintaining? Jesus didn't die so we could just maintain. He died so that we might live through him. Jesus taking that place on the cross took, did so so that we could allow his, his life and his love to flow through our lives that we would live through him. Even when we pass off the scene, we're going to live through him. So if I was to drop dead tomorrow, please don't write or post on Facebook, R.I.P. Pastor Bruce. I'm not going to be resting. I'm going to be living. See, we get to live through him today, and we get to live in him. When, I take, when Tim took his last breath on this earth, he took his very next breath in heaven. He was living through him, and if you met him, he always was. And now he's living in him. And if that was to happen to me, I'm going to be living. Just like Tom and, and Betty and John and Josh and Daisy and Brian and now Tim. They are all living. They are not resting in peace. Now that's all possible today to live through Jesus' team because Jesus took my place on the cross and now lives in me. How can I not live through him if he is now living in me? See, he's living in me, and he wants to live through me. I mean, if I'm not allowing him to live through me, then I am holding Jesus back who dwells in me, the spirit of his son who dwells in me. Think about it. He's in us. When you came to Christ, the spirit of God comes in, Christ in you, the hope of glory, and he's wanting to live through you. He wants to do great things through your life, but you keep going, no, no, no. Why would we do that? You know, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, for the love of Christ compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he who died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And that's present tense all the time, that God wants to do that in our lives, that his love lives through us and it compels us. 
verse 10, it's all grace. And this is love. Not that we loved God, we didn't. We, we were unsaved sinners, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, big religious word. It simply means to take our place. The, the unjust or the, the just dying for the unjust. We, we basically changed places with Jesus. That's what that big word means. Because see, the God of the universe is a holy God and in order for sins to be rightly judged, they needed to be judged by a perfect sacrifice. And so God became man. We know that story. And he took our place and suffered the wrath of his father and he died and rose again when we didn't love him. But he gave his life because he did love us. And when you think about what he's accomplished for us, that he gave his life when we didn't love him, but he did that because he lives us, loves us, well, verse 11 becomes a natural response here. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Very simple. Nothing real complicated. It only gets complicated if you don't love. But it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? When we truly, really, truly experience God in our hearts for salvation, it will show through in our love for others. It will. That's what God's saying here. That's why this is worded this way, that we also ought to love one another. Jesus uses those same words. He gets done washing the disciples' feet. And this is what he says to them. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You ought to do this. Well, it's the same thing here. You ought to love one another if you've experienced his love. You see, Jesus is not calling us to do anything that he himself has not already done. And if the master's done it, then the, certainly the servant should be out doing it as well. And, 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 we, and as we do, it's just a genuine love that comes from Jesus as it flows up out of our hearts. And we, and, and it's, and we want to love because he's first loved us, because we've had that experience in our lives with him. And so then we love. It's not the other way around. It's not I love and then become a believer. No, I experience his love and then I love others. Verse 12, short commercial break, has nothing to do with love. Well, it might be. No one has seen God at any time. You see that? This is right off their website. This is God, Jesus, and Joseph Smith. Right off the LDS website. So you can decide uh, who's right, either the Mormons or God's word, because God says here, no one has seen God at any time. The Mormons said, oh yeah, he, he appeared to Joseph Smith. You can decide who's right. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. All passive voice. God's doing all of this work in our lives. God's the one that perfects love in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And that is Christ in you the hope of glory. And His Spirit in our hearts compels us and enables us to love all, especially the hard ones. See, if it wasn't for the hard ones to love, you would never grow. I would never grow. 
If it wasn't for those, those pastor kids that very first time, I would have never learned how to pray to love my fellow brother and sister. We all have the hard ones. Jesus said in the Gospels, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners love those who love them. See, the real test comes from loving those that drive you nuts. And as followers of Jesus Christ, if there's not real love in your heart for God's people, then your claim to know God can be called into question. In the natural realm, it's impossible to love hard people. But see, you and I are not called to live in the natural realm, but you and I are called to live in the spiritual realm. And as we live in the spiritual realm, whatever we lack, God provides and supplies. And so because we are sons of God, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, who enables us to love. God does it in us. He matures that in us. Verse 14, out of that love becomes our mission. And we have seen and testify, I hope we all are, that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. There's a Savior now. You don't have to try and save yourself at death. That's great news. Because 99% of the people you live with and interact with all think they're getting to heaven by being good. And you can say, no, 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 no. The Father has sent His Son to be your Savior. Right, Pepe? Yeah. The Father has sent His Son to be the Savior. We get to testify about that. That's good news. So not only do we testify this world to this world by his love in us as we love others, especially the hard ones. We also love, as we testify with our mouths team, the truth of the gospel. Both are, both are critical. Love and truth are inseparable in our daily walk today. Because let's face it, truth is being watered down and washed out faster than you and I can get up and take a shower. Look at verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God God abides in him, and he in God. And that's biblical proof of Jesus in us. But it's also like we saw, what we saw last week. Whoever confesses that Jesus is God the Son who took on human flesh, that he might save us, his creation, abides in God. And then out of that abiding, we get to take a little understanding here in verse 16. And we have no one. The, the Greek word there for know or no one is gnosko. It means to know by experience. And we have no one because we've experienced and believed the love that God has for us. We've experienced that. You had to have had salvation. You had to have multiple times in your walk with God. God is love. I experienced the love of God in the most difficult situation in my life, the loss of my son. I experienced God's love there. We can experience God's love any place and every place, as long as we're open. But if we close our heart and become bitter, oh, you, you won't experience anything because you're like turning the faucet off and God's trying to get out there and impact your heart and your life. You're going, oh, no way. And you just crank that sucker shut. I don't do that. God is love. He, he wants to bust that out and through our lives. 
And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. And I add these words, in intimate fellowship. See, when you experience the love of God at salvation, as you abide in his love for you, his love grows in you and grows through you. And it impacts other people. And how does that happen? As you abide in him. You don't have to go read a book on how to love. You don't have to go take a course. You know, you don't have to go someplace where they go, hey, we're going to give you 20 ways on how to love the brother you don't like that much. No. Abide in him. If you want to love one another more, well, you just got to draw closer to God. That's why he says pray for your enemies. Because it's our hearts. And as you draw closer to God and do that, He's going to change our hearts or that coworker, or that, you know, Lord, that neighbor down the street, I preach the gospel to him, but he's just a loser and he's causing problems in the neighborhood. Get rid of him. That is not love. That's judgment. We should love people. But that's the lost neighbor. We're talking about just those in the church here today. If we want to love one another more, we need to draw closer to God. Weak relationships are a result of weak love for God and weak time spent with God. Little time spent with God, little time for loving. See, you show me two people who have got their eyes off of the Lord and placed them all on the earthly and they're in the process of going totally sideways. You give me two people to get their eyes off the earthly and look heavenly as they draw near to the Lord? If both people will move closer to the Lord, their love for one another will grow, will flourish. It has to. Because they've taken their eyes off of this and they put their lives up, eyes upward and God's love will flow into their lives. And it will flow out of their lives. It will wash away all bitterness. Of course, the devil knows that. So he has counterfeits within the church seeking to keep everyone looking this way rather than looking this way. It's quite successful today. Verse 17 is our assurance at the judgment because it's going to happen. Love has been perfected. Passive voice among us in this. Passive voice is something I receive. So, so if love has been perfected among us in this, it's something God did. When God dwells in us, our love is going to be perfected. It's going to be matured because God is the one doing all the work in us. It's the greatest thing going on the planet. You surrender your heart to God, God does the work in your life. And he changes you. There's nothing better. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Speaking of the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20, because as he is, speaking of Jesus, so are we in this world. You catch that? This is going to happen. This is a real life event. For all those who never allowed Jesus to be born in their hearts. But for us, because we love his son, because Jesus lives in our hearts, we have this boldness when the day of judgment happens. You know, the rapture happens, the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ happens, we come back and rule and reign with Jesus for a thousand years. This earth and heaven are destroyed, and then the great white throne judgment, because there's no place for them anymore. That's what it says right there in Revelation 20. It says there's no place for them anymore. So there's the great right throne judgment. The books are opened. And anyone not found with their name written in the book of life will be cast out. Well, listen, our judgment 
was poured out on Jesus at the cross. And as we watch this day of judgment go down, there won't be any fear in us. Oh man, look what's happening. Is that going to happen to us? No. Because Jesus took our judgment. And please make no mistake about it. That day will come when all those who have rejected Jesus and his love will be judged. It doesn't matter what they think or what they've done by that point in their lives. They will be imperfect. And the only way someone in the great right throne judgment that will enter into heaven is if they were perfect. Because it says their, their works were made known. Nobody's going to be perfect. They're going to be left out. Verse 18 speaks away the devil's lies. There is no fear in love. God's complete love in us and for us removes all fear. Now, you may be going, well, I don't know. I have a lot of fearful things. Well, okay, but look, there's great hope here then. Thus, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made yet perfect in love. See, you and I have got to realize that the love that the Father has shown us in the sending of His Son to die in our place, it it utterly, literally wipes out all fear. So if I have issues or fear grips me here and there and rips me off, according to the Scriptures here, I've not been made complete in His love. I can be, though, because God is calling us to this. But if you fear, well, just spend more time with Jesus. See, going vertical with Jesus and allowing his love to be poured out into your heart wipes away all fear all the time in your life. It's a choice now. You know, your, your kids are sick. I remember when our son was 28 days old, he was in the hospital for 105, uh, with 105 fever for five days. So what do you do? You look up. It wipes out all fear. You look this way, oh, you'd probably go insane. Worry's a choice. Fear's a choice. Love is a choice. Faith is a choice. Fear destroys faith, but faith destroys fear. You see, fear destroys faith and works you instead of allowing your Father work in you. For there's no fear in his love for you. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. There's no fear in that team as Jesus holds us in his hand and the Father holds us in his hand. So so how is this, what do we do, jump from hand to hand? I don't know, but I see it more like this. You know, as life's going crazy, yeah, we're completely surrounded. Verse 19 becomes our response to the one who has called us, chose us, saved us, adopted us, holds us, leads us. I mean, the list goes on and on. We love him because he first loved us. We obey him because he first loved us. We walk with Him because He first loved us. We lay our lives down because He first loved us. Because see this word love, it's not a feeling word. It's a self-sacrificing, the Greek word is agape. Jesus agaped the world. 
that he went to the cross and died for him. See, this is how all of our Christianity started, and this is simply how it all needs to end, team. We love him, and everything we do should flow out of that because he first loved us. If it's not that, it's just complicated for you. I mean, this is why Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. See, as I give all that I am to Jesus because he has given all to me, not only am I blessed by God, but, but that giving of myself produces a feeling of satisfaction and indescribable joy in my heart that nothing on this planet can fulfill because trust me, I tried them all. Nothing beats God's love being poured out through your heart. Thus loving him back because he first loved me becomes a blessing and a privilege and not some works-based program of where I have to do this and I have to do that stuff for God. Uh-uh, that's not right. If that's my attitude that I have, then I don't really fully understand how much he loves me. Because when I fully understand how much he loves me, it changes my attitude from I have to do these things to, oh, all right, I get to do. I'm privileged. Growing up, it worked till the age 12. This is my parenting tip. Well, not if your kid's in here, because then they're going to hear it. <laughs> but it was like, oh, do we have to do that? No, you get to. Man, you're lucky. Oh, and then about age 12, somewhere there, they said, wait a second, we still have to do it. Yeah, but it worked for a while. We get to. I, I, I get to do. I, I get to love him back. I get to serve. I get to give. I get to lay my life down. Man, I am a lucky and privileged individual. You see, our love for Jesus comes from, his, from, from him who first loved us. And our love for him and others, well, that's only from responding to his love. So with loving him because he first loved us as our backdrop, John is going to now make it as practical and direct as you can. Please don't stone the messenger. I'm just the message guy. If someone says, verse 20, I love God and hates his brother, not my words. I wouldn't have used those words. I'd say he's deceived, but God says he's a liar. So I'm not going to say what I would say. I'm, we're just going to let it speak for himself. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? The answer is, you can't. Impossible. For my faith to be real, love will flow out of my heart from my relationship with Jesus to others. It has to. Our love only responds to his love. We love him because he first loved us. So then out of that love, I'm going to love others. But if I haven't experienced that love, I'm going to be selective on who I in my own earthly strength love. But our love always responds to his love. And the greatest evidence of God in us is our love for others. See, you can't say love without action. And just so there's no confusion here, love is a verb. It's an action word. It's not a feeling. That would be a different type of love. But like I said, this type of love is self-sacrificing type of love. And the true measure of Jesus in us is God's love in our lives poured out on us. And, and that happens in so many different ways. Well, pastor, I want to love, but I can't. 
I've tried, but I can't. Well, look, look what God's Word says here. It really leaves no room for excuses. Plus, I can't should not be found in the follower of Jesus Christ's vocabulary, for I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Over 20 times we find that in the Scriptures. So I can't won't work if you are declaring that Jesus is in you. The world can use I can't all day long because, well, they really can't. They don't have no spirit of God dwelling in them, so they don't have any resource outside of themselves. So they can use the words I can't. Now, you can use the words Christian, I won't. I won't love. But see, that makes you rebellious and hostile towards God's word. And according to verse 20, it makes you a, a liar. God's word, not mine. Jesus is on record in numerous places saying, love your enemies. Well, how much more your fellow brother or sister in Christ that he died for? See, I, I honestly don't understand the bride of Christ putting down others of the bride of Christ behind their back. I, I don't understand that. That's God's bride people and, the, and other people that call themselves part of God's bride are stabbing God's bride in the back. Oh, they say it's true. No, it's demonic. And according to verse 20, you're deceived. When a person's love for the body of Christ grows cold, it harms God's work from moving forward. I mean, if God is on record in Proverbs 6, and he is, that he hates a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren, those are qualities of someone who hates their fellow brother or sister in God's house. No matter how righteous you think you are, you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, but the spirit of the Antichrist all the while tearing down the body of Christ. It doesn't matter who they are doesn't matter what style or flavor of worship they like. If I tear them down, I'm tearing down God's bride. I can't imagine he's real happy about that. For the Spirit of Christ in you does not keep a record of wrongs. The, the Spirit of Christ in me allows his love to cover over a multitude of sins. And God's saying, look, do the same. Just do the same. The Spirit of Christ in you not only loves God who you can't see, but also loves your brother who you can see. For any of that disagree, and hopefully none here, God wipes out all that gray and makes it extremely black and white as we look at verse 21 here. And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. So this commandment we have from him is, is really a bending of our will to match God's wording. And, and, and God really removes all wiggle room here. That we must love his brother also. You know, this chapter break here, it's not, it shouldn't be there. See that big number five at the end of chapter four? I, I believe it's in the wrong place. I believe it should be between verses three and four. Right there at, the, at chapter five. Because I think the context changes at chapter 5, verse 3. So if you go back and read all of chapter 4 and read right into chapter 5, verse 3, I, I think you'll see what I see. They put the number in the wrong place. We're glad they put the numbers in there, otherwise we'd never find anything. But they're just monks back in the 1500s. This one they got wrong. 
I mean, once you move the chapter break, this verse 1 is the complete package of the previous verses that we just read. Look how it reads. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That's salvation. No one works at cleaning up their lives, seeking to gain salvation. No one loves others, seeking to gain salvation. That's all works. God says we're saved by grace through faith. That not of ourselves. Not of works. It's a gift of God. Salvation is always first. And everyone who loves Jesus who begot you also loves him who is begotten of him. I mean, how could you not love the one that Jesus begot? When Jesus moves in and one part of his nature is love and the other part of his, of his nature is truth, he, still all, being all God, how could you not love others now that you're born again, now that Jesus lives in you? You see, when you love the one who saved you by looking up and going vertical, how could you not love others as you look horizontal? Verse 2 becomes this spiritual, personal examination. By this we know. And I need to stop and ask myself, do I know? By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. We can know this. We can know what's in our hearts because we're born again. We can know what's there. Again, you have to go vertical first and allow the love of Christ to fill you and out of that overflowing love for Jesus, that love will flow out of you horizontally as you walk on this earth. But if there's no love flowing in us as we look upward, there's no Love being poured out on his kids. Let me, let me demonstrate. You know, this is me. You know it's me. <laughs> and as I look up, because see, I'm looking up, God gets to pour his love in me. And as he pours his love in me, when I look out, oops, I missed it. <laughs> but as I look at you, horizontally, I get to pour that love out. But if I don't look up, what's in the cup? Oh, no, I saw a drop, too. It's not complicated. If you don't look up, if you don't spend time with the Lord, you don't have anything to pour out because God wants to fill. He wants his love to explode in our hearts. But you got to go up. It's critical. So much of this nonsense in the church today is let's just go this way. Got a problem? Let's look at it this way. No, go up. Let the one who's the problem solver fix it. See, in order to keep the commandments, you have to love God first and the family of God second. And as you look, look up, God fills you with that love so that enables you to love the family of God. Certainly, I only hang out with those that I love, so if I don't love God, I'm not hanging out with them. Well, that's not true, Pastor. I love God. Well, prove it by hanging out with Him. And as you do, He fills us. Verse 3 is the love of God in action. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. 
God's commandments tell me what to do now that I'm born again. The grace of God teaches me how to live now that I'm born again. What would be the point of receiving salvation and then not being interested or instructed in how to get the most out of this salvation? That'd be like going and buying some electronic thing that's got a bazillion features, but you don't ever look in the owner's mail, you don't find out the bazillion features. So all you know how to do is turn the power on and off. Why'd you buy it in the first place then? I couldn't do that. I just give it to the young people and say, here, read this, figure it out. But, but I would do that because I want to get the most out of it. What's well, the same, in, same way as being born again? The only way we're going to get the most out of it is by being instructed in how to do that. Jesus tells God's kids to come to him, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I've been there before, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's nothing in there that sounds burdensome. Actually, it seems quite easy. God's commandments are not burdensome because we are his little children. I mean, how hard is it to love anyway? Children have no problem loving. Why do older children of God have problems then? I don't know. Love is easy. The hard part is giving it away. But a failure to give it away just reflects a selfish heart, as I'm extremely honest with you. If I can't give it away, I'm just selfish inside. But Jesus wasn't selfish. He gave it all away. See, God doesn't say, hey, now that you love me, hey, will you sell all that you have and move to Iran and build the biggest church in the world? No, that would be hard, and you'd probably never come back. You would die. God's ways, they're not burdensome. The only time God's ways are burdensome is when you go against him and seek to live life your way instead of his way. And that would be his way, the one who saved you. And that would just not make any sense at all to live your way instead of his way. I wouldn't, why would, I wouldn't want to live that way. So the common sense is to love him who saved you and love others that the Lord has saved as well. And that's about as common sense as I can make it. Father, we're thankful for your goodness to us. Lord, for all that you've done.